Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 10 this morning. Romans chapter 10. Our verse, our text, which we will read in just a moment, will be verses 14 through verse 21. Probably dial that down just a little bit. I want to welcome every single one of you here this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. It is great to be together in the house of the Lord. I don't think that there is a greater place, there's not a better decision you could make this morning than gathering together as God's people to listen to the preaching of God's Word, to sing together with our voices, all for the glory of God. It is, a, it is an amazing text. Aaron already quoted portions of it from Psalm chapter 19. Daniel was able to remind the little ones of portions of this text. And there is so much here for us to unpack. Lord willing to listen and learn from this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we go any further. Asking for the Lord to lead and guide. We are most grateful, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for your presence right now with us. We thank you, Lord, for every person that is gathered this morning to hear your word. Lord, I pray for help, for clarity of thought and mind and speech. May everything that is said and done be for your glory. Father, we we think right now of Pastor Stewart and Cheyenne as they are with a number of our students away in a retreat. Minister to them and encourage their hearts. Build them up to be strong, faithful followers of you. For each person that's here today, we pray, Lord, specifically for those that are in moments of ache, heartache. Father, minister And please bathe with only your comfort, comfort that you can give. Ignite us. We've been given ears to hear, and may we hear what you have for us this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. The case has been very, very carefully constructed. The Apostle Paul has been making It has been clearly presented over these last couple weeks. And I thought instead of us trying to worry about the intricacies of tough doctrines, election and predestination, what what we must do, rather than us trying to figure out the mind of God, is get to the simplest principle possible. And we see it from our review of our text last week. Here it is. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Base knowledge right there. Yes, we know that God is sovereign. But what I want us to learn this morning is that we, you and I, have been given one of the most important and significant roles and responsibilities as we have a little tiny part in God's plan to redeem mankind. We actually get a part in God's plan to redeem 
mankind. Listen very carefully. Here's our text. Romans chapter 10, we pick it up in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and the words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The word of the Lord. I want to begin a little bit different. I want to begin, in a sense, at the bottom, near the bottom of our text this morning, the latter part of verse 21, when Paul is quoting from the prophet Isaiah. It comes from Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1. Listen to this. God is speaking. I have been found by those who did not seek me, and I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Now, this speaks of the fact that Israel, who is God's own, have rejected, yet a message has been made known worldwide and many have accepted. Think about this for a moment. This is speaking of God in salvation towards mankind. That is justification of us, broken, sinful, sin-filled men and women who have literally been ushered into a personal relationship with him who is completely, totally holy. We just pause on that. That is God. The work of God lovingly and longingly revealing himself to the lost. Drawing us close. Stirring up the affections of our heart through what? Through the faithful proclamation of his word from his children. In my notes, I have written, wow. Beautiful. That is beautiful. In one of my study Bibles, it's actually under the heading, The Eagerness of God for His People's Eternal Joy. The Eagerness of God. I want us to hold on to that understanding, that truth, as we ask this question this morning. Like, how? How, how does this work? 
The author actually tells us, and he shows us, and he, and he does it. He starts with a series of rhetorical questions that are very, very important. And, and as he asks these rhetorical questions, he does it by weaving together several Old Testament quotes. Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 61, Isaiah 65, Psalm 19, Deuteronomy chapter 30. He does all of that. The first thing that he does is this. He reveals to us what I call the urgency of evangelism. Number one, you woke up this morning. You all woke up earlier than you thought you were going to wake up. And we are, we, we are impressed with this idea that we live with a sense of urgency. How are they to call on him? In whom they have not believed. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? John Stott, the English author and theologian, wisely notes, if we take these verbs, there's actually five of them. Call, believe, hear, preach, and send in opposite order we will begin to see the essence of Paul's arguments. Kind of like, like links in a chain. Christ sends out, what? Preachers and teachers. Christ sends out missionaries and proclaimers. Christ sends out heralds. That's us. What does a herald do? Here's a hint. A herald heralds. Heralds preach and teach. What happens? People then hear, hearers then believe, and believers call, and those who call are saved. Let's, let's, let's pack it back up again. It's too important not to get. Unless people are sent, the good news is not going to be announced. If the news is not announced, then no one will hear. If no one hears, then no one will believe the gospel. No one will call on the Lord, and no one will be saved. Therefore, what? Messengers, heralders, are essential. Pause on this. You are essential. Remember the whole potter and the clay, potter and clay, and like it's all about the potter? There's a, there's a change, there's a turning in the argument here, the case that's being presented. And in a sense, it talks about the fact that what? God chooses to use us. We're like a tool. We're like the right tool in a toolbox. You got a toolbox? I have one. It's like pathetic. And I open up my toolbox once in a while. The last time I opened it up, no joke, this is horrible. I can't believe I'm... This is not in my notes. There were cobwebs on my toolbox. I cleared the cobwebs out, and you open up your toolbox, you're looking for one particular tool, and you're looking like, I don't know what that does. I don't know. How, how'd that get in there? And you're kind of like digging through this toolbox, and then finally, like all the way, <gasps> that's what I'm looking for. That's exactly like what God is doing right now. He's, he is what? He's choosing to use a tool. You. You have a role so essential, so important. Paul again quotes Isaiah and he calls the faithful beautiful. How? 
beautiful. The word in Greek is hureias, hureias. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach, who proclaim the good news. That word means what? Pleasant, pleasing, lovely, having qualities of beauty. And I love this. It actually has the idea with perfect timing. It's intriguing, and you and I would have to say it's kind of an odd-sounding description, and it's a really odd compliment. Your feet are so beautiful. That's why contextualization is so important. And here we see the difference between ancient versus what? Postmodern language and culture. This morning, I want to remind you, according to what we see in our text, when you hear this term, beautiful feet, do not think shape of the foot, degree of the arch. Don't think soft skin. Don't, don't think about the length of the toes or the, or the nails manicured or, or not. No, no, no. Instead, the way we are to have beautiful feet is not through a pedicure. It's through a proclamation. The way we have beautiful feet is not through a pedicure. It's through a proclamation. Leon Morris writes this, and I quote, Messengers normally traveled on foot. And the feet were significant members. They might be dirty and smell after a long, hot journey. But to those who eagerly await good news, they are beautiful. The hearing of, the receiving of good news calls for rejoicing. Picture it years ago. Cities were were built on a hill and you could look from the top you could look down and you would see way off you would see a messenger or you would see a runner and he would be bringing word from the front be bringing word from the battleground and he might be hot he might be sweaty he might be dirty he might be bloody but as he gets closer he says what we won we won. There's victory. The enemy has been defeated. We've won. Whereas what? We are messengers of the gospel. We're messengers of the good news. Bringing the best news ever. Which means the greatest enemy that we all face. The enemy of sin and death has been defeated once and for all time. Jesus He's the victor. We won. And it says very specifically, very specifically, we have a role in a sense. We ask every single person, the waitress who brings you your food, the man who delivers your mail, your neighbor, who parks on your grass, and and you ask him, "Do, do you know Do you know Jesus? Do do you know Jesus? There's a thousand different ways. From evangelism explosion to the bridge illustration that can be drawn on a napkin to gospel tracts. Years ago, it was in in, in my my childhood, chalk talks were a big thing. Do you remember chalk talks? Some of you are like, 
prayer walks, the gospel colors, the wordless bracelet, all of them. There's a thousand. All of it must lead to telling others and inviting others. Please hear, come hear of this one. His name is Jesus. What, what we need to see here, what we need to grab hold of from this text and learn today is that, is that there is an unrelenting urgency connected to the life of the follower of Jesus. And that is we must be inviting others to follow Jesus as well. Are they all going to accept? That's not, that's not our role, our responsibility. Our role, your role, is to simply herald. And you can be assured here, okay, let me make something very clear. It's not just pastors or preachers or teachers who are the ones with good-looking feet, okay? It, it, it literally means anyone who carusos, who proclaims, anyone who is a witness, anyone who is a messenger. Now, on the inverse... By way of application, I invite you, not right now, please, but later on today, when you take off your shoes, I want you to look at your feet, not, not other people's feet. I want you to look at your own feet, and I dare say that many people We could even say most have ugly feet. And I'm not talking about bunions and like foot fungus or ingrown toenails. I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about that. Why? Because you've refused to do what God has called you to do. Still waiting for the stars to align for the perfect moment to, 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 to ask someone, do, do you know Jesus? Like Jesus changed my life. Do you know him? Let, let, me, let me give you a little hint here. Let me give you a little help here. Beautiful feet are usually, I'm guessing, about 18 to 20 inches away from calloused knees. And what I mean by that, Billy Graham says this, there are three secrets to my ministry. The first is prayer, the second is prayer, and the third is prayer. Beautiful feet are connected to callous knees. That means there must be a responsibility on our part to get down on our knees and to be praying very specifically before and prior to any proclamation number one there is to be an urgency of evangelism number two there is also and we need to see the priority of preaching how how are they to hear without someone preaching now, although we are, we are all called messengers, I do believe that there is reference here. I do believe that there's attention that needs to be given to the few who are called to the office of a messenger. So, so hear me on this. The, the primary means, 
That, that means the number one means that you are going to learn the Word of God. The number one means. The primary means the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you through the Word of God. The primary means of ordinary grace is going to come, hear me on this, through the preaching, through the caruso of the Word of God. Now, now, you are still responsible to read it on your own. You're still responsible to study it and to ask questions and to memorize. But I have to be honest. Something unique happens. Something special happens in God's design for us at this moment. At this very moment right here that you are participating in. When the people of God, the Spirit of God, converge at the preaching of the Word of God. Which means, how, which means what? It's not just about one person talking to one person. There's something corporate. There's something about this togetherness that happens in moments like this. Michael Horton writes in his book, Rediscovering the Holy Spirit, he says, if, if faith comes by the preaching of the gospel... And preaching is an inherently social event, then the effect of the preached word as the primary means of grace is not individualism, but community. Faith does not arise spontaneously in one soul, but in the covenantal gathering of fellow hearers. Do, do you know why I've been like a broken record? On it's dangerous to stay home. It's dangerous to be separated as a body. Something happens in God's design for us to grow mature in our faith at this moment when we are, what, together. I'm not trying to elevate, please, please, don't misunderstand, misrepresent. The, to, I'm not trying to elevate or draw attention to a person or an individual. That's not, that's not my goal. But simply recognize the significance and the gravity and the responsibility that we all have at this very moment right here. Go to our website, which rarely you guys do, but I would encourage you to do that. And, and there's a little tab, and it's under FAQs, Frequently Asked Questions. And you scroll down through there. You ever do that? No. I would encourage you to do that. Like, what's a frequently asked question? Here's one that comes up all the time. And it literally says, the Bible seems to be a big deal at Big Woods. Why is that? Can I give you the response from our FAQ section of the column? When you hit the little tab, it scrolls down and says, because we believe the Bible is inspired by God without error. And the Word of God is the ultimate and final authority and our source for truth. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. For more about it, how we view the Bible, visit Baptist Faith and Message, 2000. And, and you, clip on, you can learn more. And then right after that, there's another question. Most of you have never seen this before. Here's, here's the question. I want you to pay attention to it this morning. Preaching also seems to be pretty important at Big Woods. Why is that? Whoever asked that question, that's a great question. Let me give you the response. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and told them it was through the foolishness of preaching. 
That God chose to save people, 1 Corinthians 1.21, at Big Woods, preaching is, and I quote, the most important aspect of our worship service. It is during the preaching service the gospel is proclaimed. Believers, that's you, are instructed, edified, rebuked, and encouraged. That's my goal every week. Lexham Bible Dictionary simply defines the act of preaching as the act of proclaiming a theological message. Generally involves the conveyance of some truth related to God or Scripture with, and I love this, inherent significance to the audience for whom the act is being done. It's a verb. It means public proclamation. It means to announce. Look at, look at, look at the Gospels. Mark chapter 4. Excuse me, Mark chapter 1, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus goes about and he's preaching a message of repentance, which means turn from your sin. It should happen here. You that are involved or engaged in sin, today is the moment you are to repent from that. That's what you hear through the preaching of the word of God. Jesus preaches repentance. The Holy Spirit, what? Offers to each a gift is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What I think is important to note is that there is a gift of teaching. As well as a gift of an evangelist, gift of exhortation, gift of leadership, gift of pastor or shepherd. Which are all helpful from the pulpit, but there is no gift of preaching which I find very, very unique, not in the lists of Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul taught how to preach of what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful men. Ooh, that's going to cause a little bit of an email return. entrust this responsibility to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And men who are called to preach or called to communicate are given what? Attention to careful instruction to do this with the utmost of accuracy and faithfulness. It says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Now, now, even with all of that, I tell you what, still, still be very careful and guard that, that, that it is not to be surrounded around one individual. Neil Pollard writes this, to hide behind the claim of a divine endowment of the gift of preaching. Oh, he has the gift of preaching? He actually says, is at least misleading if not, if not disingenuous. The preacher must submit himself to the process of proper interpretation. Fertilize the process with much prayer. Then set about to faithfully proclaim what scripture says. Not what he says. That is how one properly uses his gifts to preach. Be aware, be aware of lofty claims that God is pouring his message into their heart through some direct operation. Often what such preachers say is at odds with revealed truth. Truth always trumps testimony. 
So there's two parts of responsibility that you have right now. Be careful, ready, and willing to receive the word of truth as it is preached. Three times it's repeated. Matthew 11, Luke 14, Mark chapter 4. If anyone has ears upon last look, you all do. Anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. Pay attention to what you hear. That's your responsibility right now. Your second responsibility is be careful not to believe every single thing that you hear. It actually says what? Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So when you hear something proclaimed, it better match the word of God. Test the spirits. Let me tell you this. As one who has been called to preach, I am constantly reminded and feel acutely aware of the importance of careful preparation and careful study and attention that is given to the Word of God. Why is that? Because the grass withers and the flowers fade. But the Word of this God, the Word of God, the Word of the Lord endures forever. Personally, if I may add, if I, if I have been blessed in one area of my life, if I have been gifted by grace with one area of my life, it is, it is this. I have been blessed to be able to sit under the preaching of faithful men, and it has been great preaching. And I have been, I have been blessed to sit under the best I remember literally when I was a young pastor to, to meet Dr. Erwin Lutzer. I called him Dr. Wutzer. I was so embarrassed. I've sat under the teaching and the preaching of Howard Hendricks, of Warren Wearsby, of Alistair Begg and John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul and Al Mohler and David Platt and Matt Chandler and H.B. Charles. I've been blessed to sit under the preaching great preaching and I've also been blessed to sit on the preaching of men you've never heard of and you'll never hear of Dr. Bill Randolph Pastor Glenn Blossom Pastor Larry Mead Dr. Randy Pelton all of which over a period of time of listening year after year have shaped and taught and strengthened my faith over the years and I will say this it began at a very very young age at a very young age I don't know if you realize or not but the elders and I have been having excellent excellent discussion on this very subject I would say healthy debate which should happen on the age of children who sit under the, the preaching listening of the word of God. In a sense, we've talked about this, the, the subject of the age of junior church. A most serious subject. Why is, why is it important? Because we can all recollect horror stories of little ones. Little, little, little tiny ones who are forced to sit in silence in church. And they're simply brewing in anger. And we all know horror stories, but we also know what? That the pendulum often swings too far the opposite direction. 
So we live in an age of ever shortening attention spans where you have to be fed with five-minute, action-packed, music-thumping sermon jam that have led to what? An entirely malnourished generation. An entire generation of kids that have been fed cotton candy. Let me tell you this. There is no better place. There is no better place to learn and to grow and to mature and strengthen in the Word than sitting under the preaching of the Word of God. And I am well aware that sitting for 35, 40, 45 minutes is almost unheard of today. But it is most important. It is most important. My, my, goal, my goal each day is not to rouse. I can't rouse the dead with excitement. That's not my goal. My goal is to remain faithful to the full counsel of the word. How are they to hear unless someone is preaching? Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Um, yeah, but Pastor Jim, you know, you know, I can stay home and I can still listen to the preaching of the word of God. And you will miss out. You'll miss out on the moment of what God has designed for us. A, a new book that we're reading and we're making available to um, the church is Lehman's new book, Rediscovering Church. And, and he says this, I, I have a quote, it's too long for this morning, so I'll, I'll leave the quote, but he, he does say this, and, and I quote, he says, a Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble. And I'll leave it there. Let me say finally, for any young man that is here this morning that is considering preaching, that is weighing the call of preaching, Martin Lloyd-Jones is totally right when he says the highest and most glorious calling known to man is the call to be a preacher. And if he's called to preach... Never stoop to do anything else. May that be a word and reminder for young men. Thirdly and finally, there's a responsibility of hearing that is placed on all of us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now there's a, a, a direct connection here between the spoken word, spoken, enunciated, and hearing. What I find is interesting is there's actually three references in the text that we read this morning of preaching. There's three references to believing. There's six references to hearing, hear, or heard. Six references. Now we know, it was actually referenced in, in Aaron's uh, call to worship this morning, that there is a general revelation where the Creation is a sense what a testimony or testifies of the creator. Romans chapter 1, we spoke of that. We learned of that. But then there is this hearing that is what? Special or specific revelation. That is the gospel, the good news of Jesus that is proclaimed through the whole world through spoken word. That's why social gospel is not going to cut it. Okay, you can't just give, give water. Yes, we're to give water to a thirsty person water. We're supposed to drill wells, but that's not all we do. It can't end there. There has to be an enunciation 
A proclamation of the spoken word. It's the word that works the change. You go all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. God said, let there be light and there was light. God, God in a sense told, he verbalized what? The light to show up and it shows up. Jesus told the paralytic, get up. And he got up. Jesus told Lazarus, come out, come forth. That, that's why it's so important about, about this moment that you literally, what words are hitting your ears and they're being marinated through your minds and hopefully seeping their way down to your hearts. Charles Spurgeon once said that the effectual call of grace is precisely similar to that of Lazarus. The sinner is dead in sin. He's not only in sin, but he's dead in sin without any power. Whatever, to give to himself the life of grace. Sovereign grace cries either by the minister or else directly without any agency by the Spirit of God. Come forth. And the man lives. Does he contribute anything to his new life? Not he. His life is given solely by God. By, by God's grace, God's word, spoken word, proclaimed. Even by us, sinful people, words spoken by us are given the power to change hearts. Please hear and, and feel the weight of your responsibility to listen, to hear, but also to speak. Seven times in the book of Revelation, letters to the churches, he who has ears to hear, let him here. And we know that the final verses, we don't have time to unpack all of them, speak of the fact that many, not only the nation Israel, but, but much of the world have refused to hear, have rejected the word of God that has been proclaimed. But how does it end? All day long I have held out my hands. What do we do with that? How do we handle that? You ever, you ever talk to a person with a hearing problem before? We all have. So just, uh-huh. What do you do? When they don't hear you, you just walk away? Eh, forget it, old man. No, no, that's not what you do. That's not what you do. What do you do when you speak to a person and they're like, excuse me, I didn't catch that. Well, what do you do? You repeat it. A little slower a little more clear, a little louder, and you're to be patient. All day long I hold out my hands. God says graciously, what is our responsibility? To pray, to pray, and to pray, and to trust. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws people unto himself, and we have the wonderful privilege of being heralds. Do, do you sense this morning, hopefully, the urgency of evangelism? That, that clock does not stop. Do you understand the priority of preaching? And are you being faithful with the responsibility of hearing? I trust that you have heard from the word of the Lord this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for your patience and your grace with us. Lord, we plead for your help. And many times it seems like the word is, is right there on the tip of our tongue.
You've given it to us and we hold back. We don't speak. Forgive us. We, we confess our disobedience. Father, help us to increase our faith by hearing and to be faithful to the responsibility you've called us all to do. Being faithful heralds, messengers of the good news. We ask this in Jesus' name.